So open our Bibles to First um, uh, Corinthians 13, because it's the end of the year, I usually do something a little different, uh, looking back and looking ahead is the title of the message this morning, and Paul read for us in First Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter tucked between the two chapters on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, chapter 12 and chapter 14. Let's pick it up in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This time of year, we have people have a, a tendency to uh, look back over the last year, and um, they have a tendency to uh, come up with New Year's resolutions, which last for about a month, <laughs> and then we're back making resolutions. I'm going to lose that 10 pounds or that 20 pounds. January, the Y is usually fuller after the New Year's. But by the time February comes around, everything is pretty much back to normal. But um, we do reminisce, and we uh, look back over the year, good things that happened, some sad things that maybe uh, took place. And then we, we think about the coming year, We wonder where time goes. I mean, what happened to 2018? It was just 2017. (laughs) I believe our text out of 1 Corinthians 13, Faith, Hope, and Love, also speak of the past, the present, and the future. And that's why I chose this as our text this morning. So I'll be addressing all three, faith, looking back, hope, looking ahead, and then the freedom that that gives us to love in the present. And that'll make more sense as we make our way through it. I also, because there's so many things taking place in the world so quickly, and I mean just within the last couple of weeks, that I will tie in a prophetic aspect to our message and um, look at some warnings that the Lord said would happen to the church in this particular generation. But let's begin this morning by looking at the first one, uh, now abides faith. I believe it speaks of the past. What past? Well, the gospel. Our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. That happened some 2,000 years ago in the past. Now, as a result of that event, the most important event in world history, that in the resurrection, we now know that the scripture, Jeremiah tells us, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. A lot of people are not freed up today that don't know the Lord. They're living in the past. They have a lot of what we call garbage uh, that 
keeps hanging on to them. They're not able to let go of it because they're not able to give it to the Lord. The Lord says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And the person who does not have that relationship with Christ doesn't have that peace because of the faith that we have and what happened when Jesus died on the cross that he says, I will take your iniquity and sin and I'm gonna forget about it. I will remember it no more. I think one of the the best things about being God is he can choose to forget and never remember. I think the curse of being a human is we know we're forgiven, but the memory sometimes still lingers. And we find ourselves saying the sinner's prayer over and over and over again. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's, that's uh, uh, an infinite point. The east is from the west. He not only will not remember them, but he says, I've separated them that far from you. Therefore, what faith does here, let's turn to the book of uh, Philippians and look at uh, an example of Paul looking back at his own life and then how he was transformed because of the cross. We're looking at Philippians chapter three. I'll give you a moment to get there. Philippians chapter three. In the first five verses, Paul speaks of his old life. So let's read those five verses. He says, Philippians three, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He's talking about Judaism in particular. Don't fall back into religion. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh, though I might have confidence in the flesh. And if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more so. And he's actually gonna do a little bragging here about religion because nobody did it better than Paul. We read, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This is mind-boggling to have that as a resume. And if anybody's gonna make it on being a good person, well, it certainly would have been Paul. He said he was blameless. Um, and a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then to prove it, he would uh, combat anything that came against his religion. And to the point of um, uh, persecuting the church, getting letters to go all the way to Damascus because he heard they were escaping to Damascus. He was gonna go to Damascus and get them and throw them in jail. Until he had that conversion experience where the Lord Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the cactus. And all he can say is, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Blinded for three days, And in that blindness, I'm sure Paul had a lot to think about. 
Where did I go wrong? I did everything right in my past as far as religion is concerned. Now picking it up in verse seven, he's giving us his past before that event took place on the road to Damascus. In verse seven, he says, but what things were gained to me, I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, just so that I could gain Christ. All my religiosity, all the things that I had to do as far as works or sacraments or good deeds, he says it's nothing. He says it's all rubbish. And I traded all gladly, and actually the word there is dung. I count it as dung. Uh, a little more graphic, just so that I might obtain the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So as Paul looks back at his past, and he's reflecting, look, I was a good guy. Matter of fact, I was better than anybody else concerning his zeal for his Judaism. And be found in him, verse nine, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith. And here we have faith. The very first one. Faith in Christ, the righteousness which from God by faith. So as Paul looks back and talks about his past, there came that point, just like for many of you and for for me. Many of you were brought up in religious institutions and somehow you thought through the sacraments or doing good deeds or whatever that God somehow judges on a curve and... um, if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell. And um, that's the mindset of, of many people in our country today. Good place for an amen. That's the way people think. The problem with that thinking is it's not biblical. So Paul says, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about being religious. I was more religious than anybody. I had it down. I was blameless. Nobody here can say that. I can't say that concerning the law. And he says, I'm going to cash that all in and I'm going to have faith in Christ because I want his righteousness instead of my own. Now in verses 10 through 13, Paul doesn't want us to have the impression that he's got his act all together. Or in other words, that he's perfect. In verse 10 he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection And the fellowship of his sufferings, that's something we don't pray too much for often. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Then he clarifies, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. So he is saying here, we're in the process of what's, the, the theological term is sanctification. Justification is when you say, Lord, forgive me my sins, come into my life, you're born again, and you are justified at that moment and cleansed, just as though you've never sinned. Sanctification is the process over years of time of becoming more like the Lord through trials through Bible study, through prayer, through fellowship, and doing that year after year after year, the Bible says you're changed from glory to glory, little by little. 
And believe me, that's the way the Lord does it. I want everything done now. <laughs> Sooner the better. But the Lord says, that's not my way. Old Testament, here a little, there a little. And that's the way he does things over time. So Paul's making it clear, don't think I'm perfect, I'm not. But he says, I'm gonna press on. That I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. And as a matter of fact, let's set the record straight, you're not going to arrive until you're either raptured or you die in the Lord. And then you will be like him, like we read in 1 Corinthians 13. So we haven't arrived, and we're, none of us are perfect. He says, but one thing I do, here's one thing I do do. I forget those things which are behind. Let's just stop right there. What things? Oh, when you mess up. Um, Paul is the same one in Romans 7. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I should do, I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am. And um, he's being very, very honest with the the human condition. But Romans 8 verse 1 says, but because of what Jesus did in our past, there's no condemnation. You can't have play condemnation or listen to the devil condemn you and say, what kind of Christian do you think you are? Because my Bible says, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it says his mercies are new every single morning. What does that mean? It means you get a clean slate every day. So Paul says, I'm forgetting all about the past because it's all taken care of. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Let's just stop there. Our first one was faith this morning. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What does it do? Well, it can set you free. It can set you free on a daily basis if you can let go of religion and hold on to the finished work of the cross that happened in the past, what does that mean? That means my past has a clean slate and your past has a clean slate. And the scriptures clearly teach that. If you choose to merit it by religion, as Paul did here, you're in big trouble because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Another good place for an amen. So that's pretty much my past is taken care of because of faith. You need to know that your past is taken care of and the devil doesn't have anything on you as long as you walk in repentance. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you're gonna sin. I I really believe that proverb where it says a righteous man falls seven times a day. And I was glad when Dave Hawking actually said it from the pulpit. I believed it, but he actually said it. He said, on your best day, guys, you blow it seven times in either thought, word, or deed. And in Med's prayer, we're reading about the guilt of unintentional sin. Well, I'm wondering, scratching my head, I didn't even know I committed a sin. And there's laws in the Old Testament for unintentional sins. You didn't mean to do it. I don't even know for sure what an unintentional sin is. Oh, maybe I do. I, I do have a, a lead foot. <laughs> And it's something about being in a truck. You're going, 
it, it seems like you're going faster or slower. When you're 35 to 40, it really feels like 25. So I got pulled over. I told you this story. But to me, it was unintentional. But I, 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 was, I was straightforward with the officer because I wanted to witness to him when it was all said and done. And I said, no, guilty as charged. You do what you have to do. But um, the scriptures actually teach unintentional sins that we're unaware of, either in thought, word, or deed. Gang, it's in your DNA. It's in your blood. And there's nothing you can do about it except to do what Paul did here, and that's accept the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ. The great exchange. Bruce will sing it tomorrow night. Uh, He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. That is a good deal. So my past is taken care of because of faith. Let's look at hope. I believe hope speaks of the future. Now, we're still in Philippians. What about our future? I lost a a dear friend uh, after um, Monday night, uh, Christmas Eve. I was pulled aside by a couple, and he said, um, my friend Steve Johnston uh, went to be with the Lord on Sunday. This was Monday. And um, immediately called some old friends and tried to find out the funeral was, was Friday. Part of our fellowship for many years. Um, Steve and Terry, seven girls, three boys, <laughs> and all of them serving the Lord. Uh, people came from all over the country. Mike and Katie Crowe happened to be in the States, but Mike was there. We still support him to this day. We go back 47 years to the house of the, of the risen son, and Steve was part of that work. So um, Mike and Katie Crowe from China, Beijing, they were there. So I came up to him and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, we're in, we're in the States. But it, it was... Um, how do I say this? Mixed emotions. Uh, Steve was physically fit, 66 years old, and just had a massive heart attack. And all that to say this, gang, we have no guarantees. There's some of you sitting right here right now that aren't going to be here next year. It could be me. It could be you. Uh, my brother went to be with, be with the Lord this year, just a couple months ago, just 62, had a heart attack. So I'm getting sidetracked here a little bit, but for those that are in Christ, we have hope. Now, if we read verse 14 of Philippians 3, because of the past taken care of, Paul says, I'm not going to go of the past. I'm not going to worry about it. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we, and I have this underlined, eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, metamorphosize our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In other words, it's a done deal. When you accepted the Lord, a couple of things happened. The Bible says angels actually have a party. The other thing it says that your name is put in the book of life. And you've been signed, sealed, and delivered because of of your faith in Christ, but now that gives us a future. It gives us a hope. 
So I look at hope here with faith, hope, and love. What's my hope? What's your hope? What are you hoping for? Well, we read it in, in um, Corinthians. To see the face of Jesus, he actually has one, and I'm gonna see him. And um, the hope of heaven, Steve's dad actually got up and shared it was emotional for him to do it. He says, but he's, um, he says, I have no qualms at all. I know his mom will be the first one there and the Lord will be the second one there to, 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 to greet him in. That's the hope that we have, the hope of heaven. And um, that cannot be taken away from you. Now, our attitude as believers should be Paul's. Eagerly, we're eagerly waiting for that. I'm ready to go home. This world is going down and it's going down fast. And every year, I can do less and less things. <laughs> So I'm ready for a new body. Anybody else want one? <laughs> so we eagerly wait. Uh, but we not only eagerly wait for heaven, in the meantime, the Lord says that we are to occupy right until he comes. We're not just supposed to be hanging out in some hill waiting for him to show up. We're to be occupying. Turn with me to where we are currently going through the scriptures, Mark chapter 13. Not only eagerly waiting, but actively charged by the Lord to watch during this period of time that is still yet future. Mark 13, verse 32, speaking of the rapture of the church, which I believe could only happen after the parable of the fig tree, which is the regathering of the nation of Israel, which I'll come to in a minute. But of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, and there it is, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper, watch, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you, I say to all, capital letters, watch. And I have in here underlined, watch for what? I believe it has to be in the context of the generation that sees Israel regathered, they haven't been there for 2,000 years. This is their 70th year back in the land. Now, the Bible speaks quite a bit about events that will happen when Israel is once again back in the land. <laughs> I'm going to not switch gears. We've been talking about our spiritual conduct of having faith and hope. But now I want to also bring current events in. Because if we're told to watch, obviously the implication is watching for certain signs that uh, should be developing if it's as late as we actually think it is. Now, as I look ahead to this coming year, I see more and more the table being set for the fulfillment of several prophecies, primarily the Ezekiel 38, also the Isaiah 17 verse 1, that talks about the destruction of Damascus. Primarily, Ezekiel 38, and I'm going to ask you to turn back there. 
And while we're doing, I'm going to put something up on uh, up on the uh, screen because what has come together just in the last couple years, and actually, I have information that's unfolding within the last couple weeks and even in the last couple of days. There we go. The main players of Ezekiel chapter 38 is Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Putin, President Erdogan, and uh, Iranian President Hussein Rouhani. Uh, These players here I will point out. um, Let's just read down to verse 9. We read this a couple weeks ago. He says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, I want you to set your face against the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. So we have a land and a prince. The land is Russia. And my personal conviction right now is that the prince of Rosh would be Putin, Meshach, and Tubal and prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. For some reason to have the Lord say he's against you, that's a scary thought. Why? Well, we talk about Hitler and the killing of the six million Jews during the Holocaust. That's nothing compared to what Stalin did in the gulags of Russia, in the concentration camps, where he killed multiple, multiple millions of people uh, under communism and outlawed um, um, Christianity, anything but communism. He says, I'm going to turn you around. I'm going to put a hook into your jaw and lead you out with your army horses and company, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields of them handling swords. All right, the main player is Russia. The main power, the main supplier of weapons is going to be Russia. And Persia, well, a hundred years ago, Iran was called Persia. It's only within the last century that they changed the name. And then it talks about Ethiopia and Libya and all of them with shields and helmets. Gomar and its troops. Now the house of Togarma. This has been lined up for years except for Togarma. Togarma is modern day Turkey. And their 360 in the last uh, couple of years um, with the ban on the right is the president, has gone from a Western-minded country that wanted to be into the EU to a complete dictator who is anti-Israel. I mentioned earlier, just a couple years ago, um, Israelis took their vacations in Turkey. Um, the, The seven churches in Revelation that's written, they're all within 80 miles of each other in Turkey. And yet today they are, this is a pact that's just, uh, this came out this month in December of them making their own treaty. But now when I say the table is set, what I mean is the seed is there. This can now happen at any time. The Ezekiel 38 war. When will it take place? Um, They're going to come from the far north. Many people are going to be with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about, and be a guard for them. After many days. So we're talking about the last days. 
you will be visited in the latter years. You will come into the land that was brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which has long been desolate. Well, 36 and 37 is fulfilled. It's talking about them coming into the land. In Ezekiel's time, it hadn't happened yet. This is a fact of history. Now they've been there for 70 years. That's fulfilled. I like to say that we're living between the pages here of chapter 37 and 38, and the stage is set. Togarma, Turkey, is now in place, making national news of the treaty that these men have taken. Now, do they have any idea biblically what's going on? I don't think so. Um, The hook I'd like to talk about a little bit here. Um, This is a picture that I got. The date on this one right here is uh, the 28th. And I'm going to keep this out because I'm going to come back and read what's happening uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned. But let's just look at the first one with Russia, first of all. Gog. The Russian bear has returned to the Middle East to threaten Israel. Forty-five years after Russia was ousted in the 1973 Yom Kippur War, it has returned. Now, 45 years later, the Russians have established, they're not just there, they have established a major military base at Tarsus on the Mediterranean Sea, which is by Lebanon. And uh, it is close to Israel's natural gas installation. I'll talk a little bit more about the natural gas in just a bit. So as we look at um, Russia, I'll be coming back to it. As you look at the guy um, Erdogan of Turkey, um, he has made this pact. He is anti-Israel, even calling for their destruction. Um, I have an article that was just published this week And he is all upset because of what we're doing as Americans to Iran. So here's a picture of the president of Turkey. This is this week that came out. Uh, Turkish President Erdogan on Tuesday hit out at a new sanctions on Iran imposed by the administration of Donald Trump, saying that they were aimed at upsetting the global balance and against international law. Washington on Monday announced the sanctions on the Islamic Republic that was aimed to isolate the country's banking sector, slash its oil imports. I heard that gas right now is down to 45 bucks a barrel. Turkey was one of eight countries exempted from the demands to stop buying Iranian oil. We don't find the Iran sanctions appropriate, Aerodyne was quoted as saying, by the state-run uh, news agency. So this is sort of breaking. Um, but he is Togarma, and um, he's, again, has made this pact that we see here. Um, let me move on to a little bit, verses 10 through 13 of Ezekiel 38. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it will come to pass that a thought will arise in your mind and you're going to make an evil plan. I wonder what these guys are doing shaking plans and what's going on behind closed doors. Could they be making an evil plan? 
And they will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. What for? To take a plunder, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are once again inhabited, and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. So we'll stop right there. Sheba and Dedan, who are not a part of this war, would be Saudi Arabia. And this gets technical. Our friend Elijah Abraham would do a good job explaining what's really going on between the Shunis and the Shiites. And that's what a lot of this is really over, at least as far as the Sunnis and the Shiites concerned. Russia, however, I believe is there on a completely different pretense. And here's where I think the hook comes in. Israel's discovery of the Leviathan natural gas off the shores of Haifa is a major threat to Russia. Israel has agreed to supply the European community with its future natural gas needs. Up until this time, the major export out of Russia, having almost a complete monopoly, monopoly. You get a, anybody get a monopoly gift for <laughs> All I got was a Joel Olstein game. Your best life now. That's all I got for Christmas. I haven't opened it yet. I don't I don't know how to play it. <laughs> this natural gas discovery is huge. And um not to mention the oil that they found on the Golan Heights. When it says, have you come to take a spoil, just take the first couple letters off. Why is Russia really in the Middle East? Well, they got their own plans. I don't think they could care less about the Sunnis and the Shiites. But having competition, when you have a monopoly, they actually turned the gas off in, in, in the Ukraine several years back just to flex their muscle a little bit to show us who's in control in the winters in the EU. Now what has happened, and gang, this is a, a done deal. This isn't going to happen. The papers are already signed. What Israel is building the longest and deepest pipeline in the world known as the Eastern Mediterranean Pipeline Project. They will route the gas through Cyprus to Crete, then to Italy, then into Europe. It will supply the EU with 125 billion cubic meters of natural gas a year. No more Russian monopoly. And um, I don't think they are very, very pleased with that. I'm only speculating. I actually believe this is a hook that's going to bring them in. And when they start talking about an evil plan, I could certainly be wrong. But as events in the last couple of weeks continue to happen, it causes me even... Um, more wonder about the whole situation. Well, let's look at um, Iran in verse uh, five, that would be Persia. Today, Iran is protesting because the USA has unleashed the toughest sanctions against Iran last month. Now, that's, this is what um, part of this article that we have up on, this, on this, a screen is. The sanctions include oil exports, shipping, and certain bankings, all part of the Iranian 
economy. I got pictures of people in the streets of Iran uh, demonstrating because of how um, uh, badly the Iranian economy is. Iran's president, Hassan, has called for Israel's destruction. The reason for the sanction is because of a new military-tipped missile shipped to Lebanon to supply Hezbollah. They got busted by putting these rockets in commercial air flights and landing them in in Lebanon. And um, they simply... We can simply, Israel cannot simply afford to allow that to happen. More than 100 big international companies have been drawn from Iran. The Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini says, the USA will not dominate Iran. And um, so we have them sort of backed into a corner. And here's... The picture, this is dated um, November 5th. U.S. unleashes sanctions on Iran hitting oil banks and shipping. And we have the people burning the American flag in the streets of Tehran. And um, as a result of of, um, these sanctions. As I look ahead to 2019, I see this only intensifying... And even more so because on December 19th of this month, President Trump pulled out all American troops out of Syria. And this article right here, by pulling out, America leaves Syria uh, deserted for Israeli foes. That's the caption above this picture right here. I'll read just a paragraph. The Israeli Air Force carried out airstrikes on Tuesday night. This is dated December 28th. That's how recent this is. The Israeli Air Force carried out airstrikes on Tuesday night against a series of targets involving Iranian weapons uh, transfers to Hezbollah, as well as several senior members of the terror organization. Syria Air Defense reportedly fired 30 anti-aircraft missiles in response allegedly placing a number of civilian airliners in danger. Russia and Lebanon both blame Israel for endangering the airlines. This comes among the sudden announcement by U.S. President Donald Trump that he was pulling American troops out of Syria. This appears to endanger Israel, as Iran now has one less challenge to face its efforts to establish a land corridor between Iran that will lead directly to the Mediterranean Sea with a terror network that extends across Iran, Syria, and Lebanon. If nothing else, gang, it's a psychological message to say, okay, America, we were out. Gang, this just happened within the last several weeks, December 19th. So getting back to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, he says, watch. Watch and pray. Watch for what? Watch for the signs. Earthquakes in diverse places. You know what I read yesterday? A 5.0 earthquake hit Nashville, or somewhere in Tennessee, followed up by a three-pointer. So that's making news. And so there's a whole bunch of speculation of um, this hasn't happened since 1973. 
So across the board, we're, when the Lord says watch, going back to Philippians, our hope is what? Well, our hope is our citizenship in heaven, which we eagerly wait for the Savior. But in the meantime, we're supposed to also be watching. Now, if you don't see these things in the world as signs, fine. Um, I do, and the scriptures actually give us instructions what to do when these things begin to come to pass. We are also to be laboring and watching. Now, let's see if we can put this all together. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, well, my past is taken care of, gang. And uh, I can have peace with my past, and so can you. And um, I have hope for the future. My hope, as it says in Philippians 3, isn't planet Earth. My citizenship's in heaven. And our bodies, we're getting new ones. Praise the Lord for that one. (laughs) Uh, We're gonna have a glorious body according to the working which he's able to subdue all things. My past is taken care of. I have a future hope. You know what that does? It frees me up for the moment. See, if you're not worrying about your past, and if you're not worrying about your future, which a whole lot of people do, and both of those are clearly taken care of, what does that free you up to do? It frees you to live in the moment. Live to do what? Faith, hope, and love. Turn with me to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verse 25. If we truly believe that if you love Jesus Christ and are trying to please him in your daily life, that his promise to you Romans 8, 28, is he's gonna work everything to your good. Now what I just said, you're either gonna believe or not believe. If you believe it, then what I'm about to read is not a suggestion, but it's a command from the Lord himself about people who have this tendency to get bent out of shape over the smallest things and worry about the smallest things. Verse 20, Let's see, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Can I read that again? (laughs) Do not worry. It's my human nature that wants to add to that, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. About your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his statue? I like the rationale here so much. You can worry if you want to. But then he says, what good will it do if you do? Is it going to change anything? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God can clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For these are the things that Gentiles, These are the things worldly people live for. What what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna wear? What are we gonna do? 
And their life revolves around this world. He goes on to say, for your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is the third therefore, and the third time he's saying it. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry is about its own things. And this is one of the greatest scriptures right here. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you got enough to worry about today without worrying about anything that's in your past or what's anything that's going to happen in your future. What, what about my past? It's clean. Slate clean. What about my future? I'm going to heaven. Yeah, there'll be trials and difficulties along the way, just like Paul said. But if you really believe that, gang, then what that does, it frees you up for the moment. And you can actually live free and go and, com- and do the main thing, which is verse 19, don't lay for yourself treasures up on earth where moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Heart, that has to do with the love part. Faith, hope, and the greatest of these is love. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. But above that, I'm to love God with all my might and all my strength, with all my heart. Good place for an amen. But what if you're worrying about your past? You don't do that. Well, what if you're worrying about your future? You don't do that. Why? Because you're worrying about your past or you're worrying about your future. But faith and the finished work of the cross and the hope of heaven, if we really, really believe that, it frees us up. It frees us up for right now today. Lord, I'm available. I happen to be free because of what you've done in the past and what you promised me in the future. And as a result, I can be about my father's business uh, loving on each other. One of the warnings, I'll, I'll close it up with these verses. I'm going to ask you to turn to three places. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. These are some things that Paul specifically warns us about in the last days to look out for. So if we look out for the warning signs, there's all kinds of signs that talk about um, the Ezekiel 38 war happening. But let's look at signs in the church itself. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we move ahead into 2019, the scriptures warn us of things that will happen to the church. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. If you move down to verse 13, that's the warning. Well, what's going to happen? Well, people are going to get away from solid Bible teaching. And so Paul's answer to that in the last days is he now charges Timothy in verse 13, this is what we are to do until the Lord does come. He says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. 
That's Bible study, gang. And um, he, he warns against uh, deceiving spirits bringing in bad doctrine. Turn to me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, just a couple pages over. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. That's what it should be all about. When we come to church, it should be to worship God. Good place for an amen. And to study God's word. Another good place for an amen. What does Paul warn us about in the last days? They're gonna get away from that. But don't let you, don't let that happen to you. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and allow them to be turned into fables. But you, Be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. One more, the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, picking it up in verse 23. Last days, if there's going to be a falling away, there's the warning. So if we understand the word of God warning us what's gonna happen to the church, shouldn't our attitude be to make sure we do just the opposite? Instead of being exposed to false doctrine, no. We stay in sound doctrine. How do you do that? There's only one way I know. That's teaching through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. That's the only way I know you can be in sound doctrine. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our, of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to do what? To stir up love and good works. Well, how could I love? Well, when I'm free from my past that I got hope for my future. I'm freed up to love and good works. And this part here, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Let me just stop. There's, uh, the church is dwindling in numbers across the country only because that's exactly what the scripture said would happen for various reasons. But he says, don't let that happen to you. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Um, oh, I messed up left out one of the third ingredients about Sunday mornings. Yes, it's worship. Yes, it's the, the, the teaching of the word. But what else is it? It's the fellowship that we have one with another. And uh, you're expecting to see that person that you usually fellowship with. And if you don't see him that particular Sunday, you wonder if he's sick, backslidden, or whatever. <laughs> and... So here we're exhorted, but notice what it says, as a matter of some is, but exhort one another. Basically, that's what I'm doing right now. And so much more as you see the day approaching. 
Do you know that we just sent over two aircraft carriers into the Persian Gulf? Two of them, just within the last month because of the tough talk that's going on in Iran. And the stage is, is uh, America is, is flexing its muscle in, in doing these things. I said that to say this. Do you see the day approaching? I mean, if you don't see it, that's fine. But if things are fitting together um, perfectly and the stage is set, well, the picture isn't up there anymore, all the main players are there, and um, now, just this month, we decided to move out. It sends a message, at the very, very least, in the Middle East. The last verse says, in Matthew 24, verse 12, because lawlessness will abound. Do we see that? We're getting numb to it because we see it so much. It's abounding. It says the love of many will grow cold. Love growing cold. My friends, don't let that happen to you. You say, well, how do I, how do I keep myself in the love of God? That's what we're told in, 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 uh, in Jude. Keep yourself in the love of God. Only one way I know how. That's what everything's okay with my past. Good place for an amen. That's what I'm secure in my future. Another good place for an amen. Well, it frees me up that I don't have to worry about my past and I'm looking forward to my future, eagerly awaiting for that to take place. In the meantime, watching. In the meantime, occupying. And um, if the love is gonna grow cold, and that's what the Bible says, then our job is to work on what we just read in verse 14. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love. What if the only thing that you had on your mind when you got up in the morning is, who can I love on today? Who can I show the love of Christ to today? That could happen if you're free. When Jesus said, you'll know the truth, it'll set you free. That's what he meant. Because he's taking care of the past and the future and he's giving you his peace so that you can give to a very needy world that's really lacking in love right now. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this message this morning that sort of wraps up 2018. We thank you that um, your word takes care of our past and gives us hope for the future and frees us up for the present to just um, do what your word says is the greatest. There's faith, there's hope, but then there's love. And then you said the greatest of these is love. Lord, let us love like you. And um, we just commit this coming year to you as we watch things continually come uh, to pass. We thank you for your word, Lord, that points these things out. Lord, bless your people as we begin this new year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.